You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. for his glorious love. Isn't that choir sound great this morning? Good looking group up there. Tell you what, we might have to tear the petitions out. Tear the walls down. That'd be great, wouldn't it? You don't want me to tear the walls down, do you? <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the third chapter. Tonight, Kenny is going to be leading us again. I keep calling him Kenny. I guess that's okay. Ken, that guy down there, is going to be leading us again in worship tonight and the evening worship service, so plan to be back uh, to, to worship with us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. I want us to read all of that, and then we're going to come back in a few moments and read just about three verses again. Ephesians chapter 3, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, and we come to the very last section of the third chapter. We'll not cover it all today, but we'll read it all. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll never forget something that happened to me when I was about 12 years old. I was a student in junior high at the time. My parents were out of town for the weekend. My sister was already out of high school. She was an old lady by the time I got into high school. And so she was already gone from home and already had an apartment of her own there in my little town of Monahans, Texas. And my folks were out of town for the weekend. It was nothing unusual for me to be by myself, even as young as I was at that time. I was pretty much a loner. I had a good friend, my best friend, as a matter of fact, over for the weekend to spend the weekend with me because my folks were out of town. And we just had a blast. But while my folks were gone... Uh, My sister had a boyfriend that came in from out of town, and she already had a place of her own, so he stayed the weekend with me. And I remember on Friday night, he came in about midnight or 1 o'clock, and me and my buddy were still having a good time. We stayed up all night, so we were still up when he got there. And uh, I showed him to his bedroom, place he was going to spend the night when he came into the house, and closed the door and heard him rummaging around in there for two or three minutes. And then after two or three minutes, he yelled out of the bedroom, and he said, Hey, does this clock radio in here work? And I said, yeah, it works. And he said, well, uh, it's not working now. And I said, well, is the light on the face of the clock on? And he said, no. And I said, well, then why don't you try plugging it in? <laughs> and silence. And a few, about 10 seconds, he 
I, I guess he plugged it in and, and the reply came back, yeah, it's working now. And me and my buddy, we had the greatest time with that. We had so much fun with that. It was so, we thought it was so neat that here's this, this college guy that didn't have sense enough to know to plug the stupid clock in. And so to this day, to this day, if I refer to old plug it in, my best buddy knows whom I'm talking about. Old plug it in. We referred to him from then on as old plug it in. In fact, I don't think I even knew the guy's name. We just called him plug it in. Guy didn't have enough sense to know to plug it in. But the error that he committed is the error that many of us commit in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. You see, he had all of the equipment, but he had failed to be plugged into the power source for that old clock to work. And it's amazing to me, it's amazing how many of God's people who have been given all of the resources of God, all of the power, all of the strength, all of the, all of the authority that is at God's disposal have been given all of that, yet it's amazing to me how many of us never walk in victory, how many of us never experience real victory in our Christian life. Now these verses of Scripture that I read to you this morning are all about victory. They're all about power. They're all about plugging into the power of God in order that we might experience all that God has for us to experience in our Christian walk. Actually, verses 14 through 21 are a prayer that Paul prayed for this Ephesian church. It's actually the second prayer that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. The first one, you'll remember, we covered in chapter 1. It was a prayer for enlightenment that Paul prayed for these Christians as he prayed that they might understand all of the resources that they have in Jesus Christ to live the victorious life. And now this prayer, the second one, is a prayer for enablement that they might be strengthened with power in order to live and walk in victory in Jesus Christ. As you study the prayers of Paul, it's interesting, and there are many of them throughout his letters. He was constantly writing his prayers down for the, the churches. But as you study these prayers of Paul that he prays for God's people, you'll discover that they are actually promises of God to us in all ages. You see, when Paul prayed for these folks as he was writing the scripture, as he was writing these letters to these churches that are our scripture, the Pauline epistles, then as he was doing that, he was doing it under the inspiration of God. And so what Paul actually prayed for these Christians becomes God's promise to us. It becomes God's purpose for us. In other words, the things that Paul prays are what God actually desires to happen in our lives. And so as we study this prayer that Paul prayed, it kind of breaks itself down into three petitions. It really has three uh, parts to it, and they build upon one another. They're kind of like a telescope, you know, as, as the telescope goes out, each section just kind of telescopes out from the next, and one builds upon the other. Well, this prayer that Paul prayed has basically three parts, and they build upon one another. The first petition that Paul prays is in verses 14 through about verse 17, and he prays that they would be strengthened with might according to all of the riches of God and that they would be strengthened through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. He's praying that they may be strengthened, in other words, with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. His second petition is, is, is that they may understand the love of Jesus Christ, uh, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length. You know, and he goes into great length explaining that, that they may first of all be strengthened in order that they may be able to understand the love of Christ in order that, and the third one builds upon the first and the second, in order that they may be filled with all of the fullness of God. And so that's kind of the goal of this prayer that Paul prays. It's kind of the apex of it all. You can't go beyond that. Being filled with the fullness of God. Think about that. That's what Paul prayed for these Ephesians. That becomes God's purpose, God's uh, plan, 
God's promise for us that we can be strengthened, that we can understand the love of Christ in order that we can be filled with all of the fullness of God. But it begins with plugging into power. And as a matter of fact, I've titled this message this morning uh, very simply, Plugging Into the Power of God. Paul prays that these folks might be strengthened by the Holy Spirit according to the riches of his glory in the inner man. Now read with me once again, verses 14 through 17. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. See, Paul says, I bow my knees. He's praying to the Father. This is what he's asking, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying in the first petition here that they would be filled with all of the power of God, that they would be strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit. That is his first petition. Now, as we look at this, I want you to understand what it means to plug into the power of God, what it means to be filled with all the power of God for living the victorious Christian life. First of all, notice that this power is received through the Holy Spirit. This power that Paul prays is received through the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says, that God would grant you, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power. How? He says, through the Holy Spirit. You see, Christians, when God saves you, when God saves a person, he does much, much more than just forgive them of their sin. I'm glad that God does. I'm glad that God forgives sin. I need forgiving. But he does much more than that. He does much more than just save you out of hell and give you the promise and the gift of eternal life. And I'm not belittling that. I thank him today that he's given me the promise of eternal life. But you see, when God saves us, he desires to do so much more in our life. He desires to give us new strengths. He desires to give us victory in life, that power that as we walk in daily life, we might walk in victory and no longer be victim of circumstance, but be victim over or be victor over the circumstances of life. And so Paul begins this prayer by praying that they might have a continuing strength, that they might be filled with the power of God through the Holy Spirit in order to live victoriously. You know, I've learned something. I'm learning something as I get older. And I'm older today than I was yesterday. So I hope I've learned something in that day's time. But as I study the scriptures and as I uh, strive to walk with the Lord on a day-by-day basis, I'm learning something. That the filling of the Spirit of God in the Christian's life is not only for service. Did you hear that? It's not only for those times of special service. Now, there's not a time that I ever stand in the pulpit and preach the Word of God that I do not, first of all, confess my sin before the Father and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. I cannot remember a time that I ever preached without, first of all, going before the Father and saying, Lord, I pray that you'll anoint me with your Spirit. I pray that you will fill me with your Spirit today. But see, the filling of the Spirit is not just for those times of special service. It's not just for when we preach or when we witness or when we do something like that, but I'm discovering that the filling of the Spirit of God is for daily life. It's for that day-by-day, moment-by-moment walk in, in Jesus as you sit at that typewriter or as you sit at that desk or as you drive that truck or whatever you do in life, the filling and the anointing of the Spirit of God is for that daily living in order that you might be victorious in life. 
To be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean to be weird, I guess is what I want to say. It's not some mystical experience, not some strange phenomena that happens that makes you some kind of fruitcake. And I think that many Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of, the, of even asking for the filling and the anointing of the Spirit. We're afraid God's going to do something strange to us, you know? I mean, we're really, many Baptists are afraid to even talk about the Holy Spirit. And we've done it because of this. Because many of the people that we've known and that we've been associated with in the past who were doing the most talking about the Holy Spirit, who were talking about the Spirit of God more than anybody else, are people that we looked at and said, man, that guy's off the wall. <laughs> you know, I mean, that guy's weird. That's not a human being there. I mean, he walks on a cloud. He lives on a cloud somewhere. He can't even relate. He's so heaven, what, how is it, so heavenly oriented that he's no earthly good, <laughs> you know? I mean, many of the people that we've been associated with that have talked and preached and yelled and screamed most about the Holy Spirit have been people that have viewed it as some kind of mystical uh, kind of experience and they become so otherworldly that they're no good in this world. And so what we've allowed this to happen in our lives is if we've gone to the other extreme. We've gone to the other extreme to, to not want to talk about the Holy Spirit because we haven't wanted to be one of those people that kind of look down our spiritual noses as a holier-than-thou of someone else who hasn't walked our particular walk in life, who has not experienced our particular experience in life, or who, who doesn't worship exactly the way that that individual does, and they somehow look at us as being second-class uh, second citizens in the kingdom of God. And so because of that, we've gone to the other extreme, and we've just alienated the Spirit of God from our daily walk with Jesus. Listen, Paul prays that you might be filled with strength, and it's a daily filling through the Holy Spirit. It is received through the Holy Spirit of God. We need to get off of that extreme. We need to understand that the Spirit of God is ours for daily living in victory. We need to learn every day to begin every day, not just the days when we're going to perform some special act of service or something like that, when we realize that we need the power and the anointing of God on our lives, but we need to learn that the filling of the Spirit, the strength of God through the Spirit of God is ours for every single day in every single activity. And when we don't do that, we cheat ourselves out of power. We cheat ourselves out of victory. God wants us to have power, and it's received through the Holy Spirit of God. Not only is this power received through the Spirit, but I want you to notice it's regulated according to His glory. It's regulated according to the riches of His glory. Notice again in verse 16. Paul prays that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, this strength, this power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Paul prays that we, that we would be strengthened, that these Ephesian Christians would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, but this comes according to the riches of God's glory. That phrase, the riches of His glory, is a phrase that is repeated throughout Paul's letters. It's a phrase that Paul used many, many times as he was writing to various Christians in various places, and always, always that phrase, according to the riches of His glory, is connected with a promise of God. Now get that, mark that down. Whenever you read that phrase in Scripture, according to the riches of His glory, it's always connected with a promise of God. Philippians 4.19. What did Paul say? A promise of God. My God shall supply all of your needs. How? According to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. According to the riches of His 
glory. That's a promise of God. God says, I'll supply all of your needs. And how, what source, what is the reservoir out of which these needs are going to be supplied? It is according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You'll discover something in Scripture as you begin to, to really dig into the Word of God and begin to, to understand the total message of the Word of God. You'll discover this, that when it comes to providing for His people, when it comes to, to giving, when it comes from God giving resources to His people to live life, God is no skin flint. <laughs> God doesn't pinch pennies with His people. God doesn't hold back. When it comes to providing what is needed for living the Christian life and living it in victory and living it in power, God just pulls out all the stops and he doesn't hold anything back. He says he supplies this power according to the riches of his glory. You know, I'm glad that Paul didn't say that he supplies out of the riches of his glory. There is a difference. There's a vast difference in according to the riches of his glory and out of the riches of his glory. Let me see if I can illustrate. If you were to come to me in dire need, needing something, needing money, and I pulled out my wallet and I gave you a dollar bill, and that's probably all I would give you. <laughs> that's probably all I'd have. But I pulled out my wallet and I gave you a dollar bill, you'd go, well, I appreciate that, you know. I mean, you'd really be fired up about that, but I would be giving to you out of my riches, wouldn't I? Or out of my non-riches. I would be giving to you out of my resources, out of my resources. But if you came to me in need, and I took out my checkbook, and I signed my name to my checkbook and the date, and left the amount blank and gave that to you, I would be giving to you according to my riches, wouldn't I? That would mean that everything that I had was at your disposal. Every single thing I had was yours. All you got to do is fill in the amount. You see, that's the difference in God supplying strength out of his riches and according to his riches. That means that God has given us every single thing that he has. He supplies this strength out according to his riches. That means the resources are unlimited. That means I can be as strong as God's resources allow. Now listen to that. That's important. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. We can have as much strength to walk in power and authority and in victory in the daily life. We can have just as much power and authority as God himself has. That means when I come to the Father and ask him for strength for daily living, how much can I ask for? How much can I ask God for? How much strength, how much power, how much authority can I expect from God when I ask him for strength to live the Christian life? I can expect all that he has because he supplies according to his riches in glory. I don't need to be bashful with God. I don't need to be frugal with God when I come asking for the power to live the Christian life. As the writer to the Hebrews says, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, not on our authority, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and because of the reservoir of riches that God has in strength for his people. I can come to him and say, Lord, fill me with all of the power that you have to live today 
You see why most of us don't walk in victory, why most of us flounder around like an old fish that's been pulled out of the water and thrown on the beach in our daily lives is because we don't come to the Father on a day-by-day basis to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. Or if we do, we come bashfully. If we do, we come asking frugally, Lord, just let me live through the day. (laughs) You know? Oh, that really blesses the heart of God, I bet. When a child of the king comes and says, God, just let me squeak through. But that's really and truly kind of our mentality, our approach. God, just get me through another day. No, no, no. God supplies strength according to his riches. When I come to him as a child of God, I can come and say, God, give me the strength to live in victory today. Because his strength is regulated according to the riches of his glory. So God gives this power. It is received through the Holy Spirit. It is regulated according to his riches. But I want you to notice third. It is realized in the inner man. This power is realized in the inner man. Read again, verse 16. There's a lot in this verse. That he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In the inner man. You know, there is an inner and an outer man, or an inner and an outer woman. We're using the term man generically, you understand, okay, for the human race. There is an inner and an outer man. The inner man is the spiritual life. The outer man is the physical life. Paul prays that we might be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. Now, we spend a lot of time taking care of the outer man, don't we? Most of us do anyway. We jog the outer man, don't we? We lift weights with the outer man. We powder the outer man. We puff the outer man. We brush the teeth of the outer man. We comb the hair of the outer man. We shine the shoes of the outer man. We do everything in our power to take care of the outer man. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And if the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we ought to do a little temple maintenance. There's nothing wrong with that, doing a little temple maintenance and taking care of the outer man. We ought to be involved in that. But Paul also said that physical exercise profits a little. In other words, what he meant there is that there is some value in that. It's, It's okay. There is a certain amount of value in that. But the greatest value... The greatest value is in the exercise of the inner man, not the outer man. It is the exercise of the spiritual aspect of mankind, and that produces lasting value in character development and growth, and that never fails. It might be an enlightening study sometime to just get a piece of paper out and write down through the day how much time you spend developing the outer man as opposed to the time that you spend developing the inner man. And in that study, you might find the answer to your spiritual failure. You might find the answer to your spiritual impotence in living in victory as you go through daily life. Sometimes write it down. You see, the outer man is decaying. Someone said it this way, that the moment we're born, we begin to die. The outer man is decaying, but the inner man can be revitalized, can have new life and new strength on a day-by-day basis. I heard of an old man been married about 50 years to his bride and on their 50th anniversary decided he was going to get 
real romantic, and he walked up and he put his arm around his bride of some 50 years, and, and he said, Honey, I sure am proud of you. And she said, Eh, <laughs> I can't hear you. You see, the outer man was decaying a little bit. And so he says, Honey, I sure am proud of you. And she says, Eh, I can't hear you. Speak a little louder. And he said, Honey, I sure am proud of you. She said, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> You see, the outer man is decaying. The outer man is decaying, but the inner man can receive new life, can be revitalized through the Spirit of God. That's why when God works, you see, when God works, he works from the inside out. When man does a work, he works from the outside in. Man tries to to take care of the outer man. He tries to revitalize the outer man to change the outside, and he hopes that it's going to work its way into the inside, that he's going to have a better self-image, you know, or that he's going to feel just better about himself. So he buffs and he puffs and he jogs and he does all those... Boy, there's nothing wrong with jogging, okay? Don't, Don't worry about that. I'm not talking about you over there. I wish I could run a marathon. If I could, I would. But we do all of this for the outer man, you know, to build up the outer man, and the inner man dies. And we may find the answer in that to our lack of spiritual power. But you see, when God works, he doesn't do like man. Man works from the outside, hoping it'll affect the inside. God begins with the inside because if he knows if the inner man is revitalized, then it's going to have its effect on the outside of man. God never does surface work. And when you and I make a little progress that we view as being progress in our Christian life, And then after a week or two weeks or three weeks, it kind of fades away and becomes just kind of a flash-in-the-pan type of of action in our life. You can bet on it that that's not a work of God. That's a work of man. Because when God does a work, he does it on the inner man. And when the inner man is revitalized, when the inner man is changed, that lasts and it never passes away. That we might be filled with power, that we might be strengthened with power according to his riches, everything that he's got, but he does it in the inner man. He feeds the inner man. He cleanses the inner man in confession of sin. He revitalizes the inner man through the Holy Spirit. You see, this power that we can have comes through the Spirit of the living God, but he regulates it according to his riches. Everything he's got is ours, is our disposal. And it revitalizes the inner man. How much time do you spend on the inner man? How much time do you spend molding and making the inner man? How much time do you spend pouring the word of God into the inner man? How much time do you spend in fellowship with the Father on a day-by-day basis for that revitalizing, that renewing of the inner man? That's where God does it. He does it in the inner man. This power is received through the Holy Spirit. It is regulated according to his riches in glory. It is received in the inner man, in the spiritual man. And finally, it results in the indwelling Christ. It results in the indwelling Christ. Now listen to this, verse 17. He says, so that. That means in order that. So that this can happen. Paul prays that, God, according to his riches, would strengthen you with power in the inner man so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays that we could be strengthened so that Jesus, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, remember who Paul's talking to. 
Remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church, isn't he? He's speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to people who already know Jesus as Savior and as Lord. These are Christian people. Now, if that is the case, if they already have Christ in their hearts, if they already have Jesus in their lives, then what does Paul mean when he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Well, you see, Jesus can be present and not be preeminent. He can be present, and he is present in every Christian's life, but that does not mean that he is preeminent in every Christian life. That does not mean that he is the Lord of every life. Paul prays all of this, that they may be strengthened with power in the inner man, so that, and this is a literal translation, Christ may settle down in your hearts. That Christ may be at home in your hearts. That word dwell in the original language is a compound word that means to dwell down. To dwell down. It literally means to be comfortable, to be settled in, to be at home in your heart. Paul prays that we may be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Jesus could be at home in our hearts. You see, it's possible to live somewhere and not be at home, isn't it? It's possible for Jesus to be in your heart today, believer, Christian. It's possible for him to reside, to be present in your heart, but not to be preeminent and not, therefore not to be at home, to be settled in to your heart. And when Laura and I first moved from southern Florida just a year ago, where I was pastoring to Fort Worth, we lived here for three or four days before we ever felt at home. Because you see, we beat our furniture here. That's always the case. Your stupid winter weather that you had last year, the worst in eons, caught us, and right at the end of it, and our furniture got caught up in Houston somewhere on the way. And so we got here about three days before our furniture did. It was our house. We'd already signed the contract, signed the lease. It was ours. We even slept there. We slept on the floor. We lived there, but we weren't at home. We weren't at home until all of the furniture, all of our belongings came, and we put everything in order. We put everything where it ought to be and put all of our clothes in our drawers, you know, and put the, the sofa that we had, had become comfortable with and had become used to, and we were able to arrange everything in the place the way that we wanted. And when all of that was done, then even though we had lived there before, now we had settled in. Now we were at home in that place. You see, Jesus is never going to be at home in your heart. Jesus is never going to be settled in. He's not going to be able to dwell in this sense of the word until everything is in order, until Jesus is master, until Jesus is Lord of every compartment of your life, until Jesus is resident and president of every single room in the home of your heart. Robert Munger, a pastor, preached a sermon and eventually wrote a little booklet from that sermon entitled, My Heart, Christ's Home. Some of you have probably read that. And in that little booklet, he likens accepting Jesus as your Savior, inviting him into your heart as the same as inviting someone into your home and giving them control of your home. And he says, as the new Christian invites Jesus to come into his home, Jesus wants to go into every room and take control of that room. And, and he says, as Christ comes into the home, into the heart of the new believer, the first room that he walks into is the library. And he says, Jesus walked into the library room of the heart of this new believer and he saw on the shelves there books that were not glorifying to God. 
books that were filled with language and stories and imagery that did not give Jesus glory, and magazines on the, on the table there that were filth, and paintings on the wall that were not glorifying to God. And Jesus said to this new believer, let me have control of the library. Let me come in here and clean this place up. Let me get rid of all these books that are planting thoughts in your mind that are not wholesome, that are not of God. Let me get rid of these paintings and let me fill this place with the word of God that you might begin to grow. And the new Christian said, okay, Jesus, it's yours. And the next room that the Lord went into was the dining room. And as he walked into the dining room, he saw there that this Christian still had the appetites of the world. He was still eating the food of the world. And Jesus said, is this what you feed on? Is this what you eat? And this new Christian, a little embarrassed, said, yes, Lord, this is it. And Jesus said, why don't you let me get rid of all this stuff? Why don't you let me get rid of all these attitudes and all these appetites? Let me have control of this dining room and this kitchen and let me come in and, and prepare spiritual food for you that will cause you to grow up in, in me. And the young Christian said, okay, Lord, you can have it. The dining room's yours. And Jesus swept and he cleaned and he brought in. He began to prepare spiritual food for this new Christian to begin to grow in the understanding of Jesus the next room that they went into was the living room. And Jesus walked into the living room of this new Christian's heart. And he said, oh, I like this room. This is a comfortable room. This is a, a warm room. I like this room. In fact, I like it so much, I want to meet with you every day in this room. Every morning before you leave to go to work, I want to have fellowship with you in this room. I want to meet together. And that new Christian said, oh, yes, Lord, that would be so great. Let's do, let's meet every day in the living room here and have fellowship. And so for a time, for a week or two weeks or three weeks, every morning that new Christian met with Jesus in the living room of his heart and, and enjoyed fellowship with Christ. But then life became hectic, as it always does, and things began to take priority over fellowship with Jesus. And so this new Christian began to rush out the front door early in the morning and, and just didn't have time. And one morning as he was running out the front door, he happened to glance out of the side of his, his eye and he saw there in the living room Jesus seated in his regular place. And it pricked his conscience because he realized that day after day after day, Jesus had been waiting in the living room to have fellowship with him and that he had neglected the place of prayer, that he had neglected the place of fellowship with Christ. And so he walked into the living room there and said, Oh, Lord, I know I've neglected the place of fellowship, the place of prayer. I want to make a new commitment, Lord, to spend time with you in fellowship in the living room of my heart every day. And he did and began to have that sweet fellowship with Jesus every morning. And Jesus went from that room into the next room and the next room and the next room and he went throughout, throughout the entire house, sweeping and cleaning, disinfecting, deodorizing the home of this new Christian's heart. When it was all done, Jesus said, something's not right. Something is still wrong. There's something in this house that stinks. Something smells in this place. And the new Christian said, Lord, how could that be? You've cleaned every room. You've disinfected every room of, of my heart, of my life, of my home. How could it be that there's something that stinks? And Jesus says there is. And I believe I know where it is. I think it's in that closet upstairs on the second floor. 
And so they went up the stairs and they went to that closet and Jesus reached for the doorknob to open it, but it wouldn't open. And then he looked closer and he saw that there was a padlock on the door of that closet. And sure enough, that's where the smell was coming from, out of that closet on the second floor. And Jesus said, why don't you give me the key and let me clean this closet out? And and the new Christian said, oh, but Lord, you've got every room in my heart. You've got every room in my home. I've turned every room over to and you've cleaned and you've disinfected and this is just a small little place it's just a little closet it but it's mine lord you don't have to have this do you and jesus said i can't be at home as long as that smell is in this house i can't really settle in and be at home until this closet has been cleaned out will you give me the key that new christian turned the key over to jesus Jesus opened the closet and swept and he cleaned and he got rid of that putrid smell that was in that closet. And then Jesus turned to the new Christian and he said, There, now I can be at home. Now I can settle in and be at home. Let me ask you, is Christ at home in your heart? Are there those closets that you've got under lock and key? Maybe you've turned over the dining room. Maybe you've turned over the library. Maybe you've even turned over the living room of your life, but there's still that closet that you have under lock and key that you're saying, Jesus, this is mine. And Jesus is not yet at home because there's that smell. There's that thing that is rotten that is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ yet. And Jesus is present, yes, in your heart. But Jesus is not president. Jesus is not preeminent in your life. And Jesus is restless in your heart because you haven't turned it all over to him. Paul prays that we might be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that we might have Christ at home in our hearts. You see, the reason Jesus is not at home with some of us is because we take him places that he doesn't want to be. We take him places that he doesn't want to be. We read things that he doesn't want to read. We have things in our lives that make him uncomfortable because they are not glorifying to God and because they do not instill in us godly thinking and godly living and jesus says will you turn that key to that closet over and let me get rid of that smell let's pray this morning we're going to offer a time of invitation are you to turn that key over to the Lord Jesus? I just trust that right where you're sitting this morning, you don't need to make it public unless God leads you to do that. You can do that right where you are in the quietness of your own heart, in the living room of your heart right now with the Lord. Make a new commitment to turn that key over to Jesus. I don't know what it is. I don't even care. I don't even want to know. But God knows. And you just need to turn that over to him. It stinks. It smells. And Jesus can't be at home where that kind of thing goes on. And this morning, he just saying, child of mine, will you turn the key over? Let me go in and just let me clean it out. Right where you are this morning, I want to 
ask you to make a renewed commitment to the Lord Jesus in some area of your life. Yes, Christ is present in your heart. There's no doubt about that. There's no question about that. You're saved. He is in your heart, but he doesn't have every compartment of it yet. And he wants to in order to be at home, in order to dwell in your heart through faith. And so right where you are, just make that renewed commitment. Yes, Lord, I'm going to turn the key over. Lord, you come in and sweep it out. You clean it out. You take it. And then when Jesus has control of every area of your heart, that's when you're able, that's when you're going to be able to be able to walk in victory and in power through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, there may be someone here who has not taken the first step of even inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Oh, we want to give you that opportunity today to trust Jesus as Savior, to be born again today, to have him in your heart so he can begin that process of cleaning you out, molding you and making you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. We're going to invite you to do that today. I'm going to pray. And then as we stand in a moment, we invite you to come and say yes to Jesus. We invite you to come and make a public recommitment if that's what you feel you need to do this morning and say, yes, I'm going to turn this area over to the Lord Jesus. You don't have to do that. But if you feel the need to do it publicly, then we invite you to do it. We invite you to come this morning if you want to trust Christ, and I'll be here to pray with you, to explain that to you. Maybe you just need to link your life in fellowship with this body of believers. Get in here and begin to serve the Lord with us and so we can reach this community for Jesus. God's calling you, then you come. Father, we thank you for this day, for your word. Oh, Lord, this is your time, your invitation. Now, God, bless us with the power and the anointing of your spirit in this place. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, expecting. Amen. Stand with us. Turn to hymn number 192. I have decided to follow...